0: Chapter Thirteen of the Recording Angel by Edwin Arnold Brenholtz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kate Fallis. Chapter Thirteen: Why the world are all thinking about it, and as for myself, I can swear if I fancied that heaven were without it, I'd scarce feel a wish to go there. More, the clock in the hallway of the mansion was striking two as Arndt closed the door behind him with aching head and nerves all unstrung by the rush of events, which had, as it seemed to him, crowded the occurrences and sensations of a lifetime into less than a week, as he looked back over the last few days it seemed as if he had been living outside of himself, living another man's life. Where were the days of hard labor of body and brain which he had so much enjoyed gone to? He realized, at this moment as never before, that every one of those days during his courtship and engagement had been sweetened by the thought of the evening which was sure to follow—evenings when there would be Nettie listening, as he and Angus talked, or Nettie singing or playing the music he loved, or Nettie listening to him read the poems of her choice, or, best of all, Nettie to himself, either at an occasional concert, or entertainment, or at times All to himself on the nights when Angus went to the Indy mansion and there was no one but the hired woman and Nettie and he in the house. Thinking thus, he walked slowly towards home, for his thoughts occupied him so that he forgot to hurry as was his custom. And, notwithstanding the snow, which was still falling, he walked even slower as he thought how they had on those nights talked of the future, a future which, to them, seemed to have only sunshine in store, for with Nettie beside him he always forgot that some days must be dark and dreary. Now, in the stillness of the night, as he mechanically followed the windings of the river road to the place where she was lying, sick, and suffering— It seemed as if a lifetime had passed since she had pressed her sweet lips to his, and he found himself in thought, again standing with her arms about him, and heard her loved voice saying, I will never give you up unless you wish it. Those other words of hers, which had been ringing through his brain every moment since he heard them, and which had caused him to feel so bitter towards young Endy, that it had been only after a great struggle with himself that he had in each case succeeded in doing the just and merciful thing, were now, for the first time since he had heard them, forgotten, they were crowded out of his mind by sweet memories.' His thoughts flew back over the years when they had been children together, and played as children do, and as all the intervening years swept by there was joy and happiness in every one of them, in every moment of the time passed in company with these recollections. For the little misunderstandings of childish days had always been cleared away, and even the lovers' quarrels which had come as their lives were adjusting themselves to each other after the long years of separation while she was away at school, had never lasted over the next time of meeting. Arndt was at least as just as most men, and he this night realized that whatever of decision and hatred of injustice there was in his character were due to the influence exerted silently on him by his old friend, who had taken him up and made a companion of him while Nettie was away, and his little sweetheart, and as he came back into the present he found his mind filled with the picture of her beautiful face, and his brain was ringing softly with the words Netty, Nettie, Nettie, even as he time and again had found himself listening to those same words as they seemed to be pounded out by the great hammers of the foundry, or sung by the birds, or whispered by the leaves of the trees as the wind passed through the branches. He came to himself with a start, as he stepped on the porch and walked towards the door which opened suddenly. He found himself face to face with his sister, who threw her arms about his neck and kissed him and in a low voice said, "'Are you all right, dear? I am more nervous than I ever before was in all my life. What in this world has kept you so long, Charlie? That poor girl has been almost beside herself to-night.' She seemed to think that you were in some danger. At one time we could hardly keep her in bed, and I sent for Dr. Kennedy, but he could not be found. This excitement and worry is the very worst possible for her. Now please go and tell her that I'm all right, Annie, said Arndt quietly, and then, if you can be spared, I will tell you all about it. Upon her return, Annie said... "'It's no use. You will just have to go up and reassure her. "'The anodynes don't take effect, "'and I've already given the limit allowed by Dr. King. "'We simply must get her to sleep.' "'So, instead of retiring, as he had intended, "'Arndt passed into the room where the silence was broken "'only by the soothing voice of the nurse "'and the restless movement of the white hands on the cover, "'and taking the soft hand in his firm, close grasp, "'he leaned over and kissed her on the lips, "'which murmured softly, "'Charlie! Charlie!' and then he said in a voice which was clear and slow and quieting, "'I'm all right. No harm has come to me. Go to sleep, little sweetheart.' Without another word he seated himself in the chair which the nurse pushed towards him, and for a few moments allowed himself to return that loving gaze, and then, without relaxing his hold on her hand, he said, THE DAY IS DONE AND THE DARKNESS FALLS FROM THE WINGS OF NIGHT AS A FEATHER IS WAFTED DOWNWARD FROM AN EAGLE IN HIS FLIGHT. The eyes, which had refused to close, still rested upon him lovingly, questioningly, wonderingly. As he went on with the beautiful poem, which has itself done so much to quiet the restless pulse of care, the wondering and questioning died out, and at last only love was left, and then, as the closing words died away, the love was hidden from mortal sight, for consciousness had gone with the Arabs as they silently folded their tents and stole away. When Dr. Kennedy arrived, at five o'clock in the morning, he found Arndt sitting as motionless as a statue, still holding the little hand and gazing at the pale, thin face, and the doctor, coming noiselessly to his side, said, "'You can lay her hand down and come away. She will not rouse for hours.' Arndt's arm was so cramped and stiff that it required quite an effort to move it, and when he left his chair his sister took his place." Kennedy shook hands heartily with him and said, "'Just as I told you, we have to have the help of outsiders once in a while. If only we could always get hold of the right one, we might do away with a lot of the drugs. She will probably get well fast now. The trouble has been to get her to sleep. I have come here straight from Indies. King and I have been working with him all this time. King is still there. The blow would not be a dangerous one for a young man to sustain, but his age is against him.' However, his constitution is good, and he will probably pull through, but we fear for the effect on the brain. He is only partially conscious now, does not speak coherently. We will hope for the best. It may leave no evil effect, at least on his physical health." Arndt's head and shoulder where the glancing blow had taken most effect had been throbbing almost unbearably during the hours of his vigil. He now made an involuntary motion with his hand, and Kennedy said, "'Here, you'd better let me fix that. It was a narrow escape, and then you go to sleep.' So at half-past five a.m., Arndt was sleeping, but at seven his sister called him, though very reluctantly. She said the man who was waiting at the door would take no refusal, insisting that it was of the utmost importance and demanding to see him in the name of the union.' With eyes only half open, Arndt walked to the door, but when he saw Baker, his colleague of the strike committee, standing there, he reached to the table in the hallway and took his hat. At the gate, they found a horse and sleigh, and without a word, both got in. After they were started, Baker used the whip freely and swore under his breath as he said, "'We've had too much good luck. Things are going to go against us if we don't make good time.' The men have heard of the assault on Mr. Endy, and they charge it up to Craggy, who, they have just learned, spent the night in his car at the station. The men are boiling over. There will be one less millionaire if they get their hands on him this day. "'Drive faster!' said Arndt sharply, and his friend plied the whip. "'Where's Savage? Why did you have to come so far out of your way for me?' Arnt shouted to his companion, for they were now going at a terrific rate over the sleet-covered snow, and the wind cut their faces sharply. Savage just said that the men could kill Craggy as soon as they wished for all of him. You ought to have known that from your experience with him on the committee, said Baker. Savage is a good man, but he is mightily tired of Craggy and his methods. Can't blame him. Nevertheless, we must save Craggy. "'My idea exactly!' said Baker, and then they gave up trying to talk. In less than ten minutes they were at the station, and as he stepped from the sleigh, Arndt said to his companion, slowly and emphatically, "'Drive back along the main street, and post one of the men at each corner with instructions to stop every striker from coming this way, by telling them that the evidence all points to the guilt of Mr. Endy's own son, whom the detectives have already sworn out warrants for.' great god said baker and drove furiously away so arndt was left alone with the fast gathering crowd of working men many of the men distrusted him on account of his taking the part of the rich when he considered them unjustly abused His talk to Mr. Endy and with Dr. Kennedy was of an altogether different tone from that which he used when arguing with his fellow workers. It was as if he spoke fearlessly to the face of the rich what he would not say behind their backs, and the men, hearing only such statements from him as would tend to make them bear up under the unjust conditions that hemmed them in, had little use for him. In fact, he owed his position on the strike committee solely to the circumstance that President Truman knew his man and when the question was up in the main committee to leave the entire matter in the hands of a subcommittee of three, he stated positively that he would not consent and would use all his influence against the measure unless the decision of the subcommittee had to be unanimous and aren't be one of the number. A large portion of the crowd now here were, of course, of the more violent class, and Arndt knew, when he looked at them, that whatever he did to aid Mr. Craggy must be done without their assistance. He passed quickly through the crowd with a word of good morning for all, and approached the conductor who was standing alone on one corner of the platform, and asked, Mr. Jennings, are you ready to move out? ready, Mr. Arndt. "'But the old man hasn't made his appearance, "'and I can't start a wheel without orders from him or Chambers, "'who hasn't come down from the hotel yet. "'There he comes now, though.' "'Good,' said Arndt. "'Go to the switch and watch for his signal. "'Give the word to the engineer as you pass.' "'The strikers had been watching Arndt, "'but when he came quietly walking back towards them, "'they fell to talking again,' And so the words he spoke to Chambers were not noticed, and as the switch was on the far side of the car, the first intimation they had of any movement was hearing the voice of Chambers as he called to the conductor. He, in his excitement, almost spoiled Arndt's plans, but the engine and car pulled away from the station at a speed that defied pursuit. Some bullets and a shower of rocks and other missiles struck the car. As soon as it was beyond their reach, some of them were sent in Arndt's direction, and as he was then standing looking after the retreating car, one of the rocks struck him squarely on the back, and he dropped to the platform like a log. End of chapter 13